Welcome, and thank you for listening to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast in conjunction with the ABA Task Force. I'm your host, Ms. J, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Let's dig in and do life together with Behavior Analysis. Welcome, 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 and thank you for tuning in to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast in conjunction with the ABA Task Force. I'm really excited again, as usual, to have my guest on today. We're going to be talking with the business roundtable about marketing and solicitation. How in the world do you get and keep clients? So I know for those that have just started a business or who are thinking of starting a business, like you can't make money without having clients. So that's a really big issue for a lot of people. And I'm wondering how in the world do you do that? So we're going to talk to our guest today about just how to solicit, how to market, how do you get your name out there so that you can start having clients. So we have today Ms. Lakeisha Cobbs-Hayes of Key Essentials and Ms. Jessica File. And Ms. Jessica, please forgive me. I cannot remember the name of your company. Uh, Bella Vista Behavior Services. Yes, there you go. Bella Vista Behavioral Services. I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk today, ladies, about marketing and solicitation, how to get those clients in the door. So first of all, when you first started, how in the world did you even get your names out there to let people know that this is a new company that was just starting and that you were open for business? Um, I can go first. My um, company, when we first started, we had uh, already built really good relationships with our uh, service coordinators through the regional centers. And we knew a, a bulk of our clients were going to come from the regional center. And once we kind of went out on our own, we sent them personal emails, letting them know, giving them a flyer of our business, letting them know that we um, had started our own thing and that we were in the process of getting um credentialed through, uh, through. Oops. Oops. Sorry about that, everybody. So as soon as Miss Jessica gets, um, back to us, we'll finish up with Miss Jessica and Miss Lakeisha while we wait for Miss Jessica. What did you do? Honestly, it was along the same lines. I um, <clears> had <throat> built up relationships with uh, the regional center in California. It's, I guess it's a little like our paths are may, may be a little different. There may be some people that start with credentialing, but I mean, since I've been uh, in this since what, 2017, then what ended up happening is the very first thing that you did is you got credential with uh, regional center. And then from regional center, I want to say in 2018, we, the mandate came down that all ABA services were then um, assigned to other insurances. So it was, I guess, backwards in the sense of other states having to get credentialed first and then um, get state funded. Whereas we got state funded or through our, you know, regional centers and then went through insurance. So it, it was a little backwards. So both of us probably had the same um, process in going through regional center, applying for funding. And then um, most of our ABA uh, clients got transitioned to insurance. And then, and then we started getting, you know, uh, contracted with various different insurances. So um, it wasn't readily as readily available. Because I want to say that, honestly, uh, insurance didn't start covering anything until, what, like 2015, 2014? Whereas the mandate really started coming down and that was yeah. virtual and autism only. Mm. Yeah. And it was only private insurances and some of them, um, it started around 2014 is when that started. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too. So I remember when it was like such a big deal, it was like, okay, no more regional center and everybody, but, and, and even still, you still deal with regional center. So you still have to keep your relationships. You still need to maintain you know, um, that open communication, because I mean, it's, it, we're all in uncharted territory. And so mm -hmm. you want to make sure that you're um, vendored as many places as possible. So how did you guys establish the, um, the relationship with your regional center? Because I know it's different for other 
like other states, like for North Carolina, we don't have like a regional center, right. I guess you could say. Um, so how did you start with establishing that relationship? Um, contacting uh, our vendorization uh, area and finding out what services were available. So even now you can still get contracted with regional center. It, you may not for ABA, um, just because all ABA services are ran through insurance now under the age of, you know, 21 or 22, I think it is. And so what ends up happening is if you want to get contracted through regional center, the very first thing you should do is you should call the vendorization office and find out if they are, if they have a need and mm-hmm. what need is, you know, happening right now. And so you just start developing relationships like that. Okay, well, I'm calling to find out, you know, what services do you guys have available right now? So what's really popular right now is adult uh, adaptive skills uh, program. And that that's huge right now because they only focus on adaptive living skills, right? And nobody really deals with adults like that. So if right. you're wanting to get in with the regional center, that probably right now is your best bet is to try to get into and provide more ABA services to adults with disabilities as opposed to children. Because children, they're probably going to tell you, no, we don't have a need and go see your local insurance. Okay. Okay. So when you guys... And forgive me if I'm asking like a whole bunch of questions, like, cause I'm really just curious. So when you guys first, after you contacted the regional center, how in the world did you start with credentialing through for the insurances? Um, so I actually uh, hired on a billing um, company to mm-hmm. help me with credentialing because it was just, it was a lot of information that I just couldn't learn myself. Mm-hmm. So we hired a, a billing company to get us started. Um, they got us started with some of the major ones. Uh, there were certain ones that were um, not accepting. So you have to kind of keep calling to right. see when they're going to open their networks and things like that. You just call the um, the representatives and uh, they will um, send you basically like an application packet if they're accepting um, providers. Right. So right. it's actually, it's pretty easy. It's just a lot of paperwork. Right. Um, it's not, it's not difficult. It's just all of the paperwork that you have to do and you have to keep up on top of insurance because it is very easy for them to lose things. So, right. Yeah. Right. Same thing. Um, I ended up, like I told you guys from this jump, I ended up hiring a group of different people. Yeah. So I, I hired someone that did credentialing and I hired someone that did uh, billing in, in a start and I then hired somebody to do HR. So same same concept is I didn't know what I didn't know. So I figured the people that didn't know would know better than me. So I let them uh, handle the credentialing part of that. And we just started with the basics. So I think um, one of the things I was just telling one of my mentees and they were just like, okay, well, where do I start? And you start where you see a lot of the clients. So we're all BCBAs and we mm-hmm. want to go out, maybe start your own ABA company. Well, if you're in the same area in which you work, then you start looking at, okay, well, how many people are credentialed through Anthem? How many people mm-hmm. are credentialed through IEHP? Because that's where you're going to get your most referrals. Who's actually referring versus who do you have to actually go out there and market to? Those are two different things, right? And right. so you want to find out if one of the companies will refer to you as opposed to, right, uh, having to go out and do your own marketing. Well, I'm not sure if Jessica and I are in the same, um, and I don't think IEHP is all the way down where she is, but our local area is IEHP. IEHP refers. So Mm -hmm. I didn't have to go out and look for my clients because they refer on a weekly basis. They Mm -hmm. get your information. They actually refer you. They send out authorizations, whereas maybe Molina and Anthem, not necessarily, right? Right. Um, We get calls from there. We're in their database, but they don't actually send us uh, weekly referrals. Right, right. Okay. So... Let's switch over then. You guys have the regional center where you you reached out to first and then you got your credentialing. And then some of the companies that you credential through 
provide referrals. So what do you do for those companies that don't provide referrals like Anthem, where it's just kind of like, yeah, you might get a referral here and there. What do you do for your marketing? Um, so for us, we don't, we, we don't get any referrals like that. They, um, none of the insurance companies that we work with do that every once in a while, they'll give us a call and say, Hey, we have a client because what they normally do is they give the, um, the customer a, a list of Mm -hmm. clients that are, um, covered or a list of providers that they cover. And then it's up to the consumer to go out and figure out, okay, who has room and that kind of stuff. Um, and so that has been pretty effective for us. We get at least three calls a day um, of people looking for services. Uh, and it, they usually either get numbers based on their own, you know, Google search. We made sure to kind of set all of that up so mm-hmm. that our name would come up under behavioral services. And then um, and then they also contact the regional center. So since everybody here in California has been so um like used to using the regional center, Mm -hmm. they end up going there first. And then the regional center says, okay, you have um, health net insurance. So these are the people, these are providers that take health net or you want Bella Vista. Okay. These are the insurances that they take. Um, Let them, if, if you have this insurance then you can call them and see if they have room. Uh, That's really the way it's been for us. We haven't had to do any like outside marketing to go find clients. Oh, wow. The clients, the clients come to us. There's just no, <laughs> there's so many clients right. that there really isn't a need, at least for us in our area, to um, to market. Okay. Same. <laughs> yeah, we get probably, I would say anywhere between three to four, maybe five referrals a week. Mm-hmm. For a client, so I typically have anywhere between ten to fifteen assessments a month, continuously, mm-hmm. um, whether that be through um, regional center or it comes through the different insurances. Now, the variety of insurances, um, although I'm insured with like all of the major ones, Aetna, Cigna, mm-hmm. and, you know, Magellan, and. <laughs> All of the ones that are in the area, Molina, Anthem, um, those particular ones, they usually just are told by their physician, like, hey, here's a list. Mm-hmm. Pick somebody on the list and then we'll get a phone call. So lately, honestly, we've been getting an uptick of phone calls from the other different um, places, but it's not always we don't really do and I haven't had to do any actual marketing although I have been thinking about it just to kind of see I I wanted to kind of you know behavior analyst so I wanted to see what would happen if (laughs) we actually do some real real marketing so this ought to be real interesting because I'm actually um, going through that process right now and uh, we'll be hopefully marketing uh, the beginning of April. Like nice. that's, my, that's my goal. So do you guys market or how do you get your BCBAs and your RBTs? Do you do any marketing for them or to gear toward them? Um. Not necessarily. I mean, outside of posting on Indeed or word of mouth, um, you know, typically BCBAs know other BCBAs. And that's right. usually what happened is if I get one BCBA, normally about two to three will follow just because they know someone that is, you know, maybe looking to do something else. Like, oh, yeah, I came to, you know, Keisha's company and Keisha's company is really cool. So you should come where I am. Um, but our typical marketing is through Indeed or any mm-hmm. other, you know, employment site where you're getting people to come in. That's the way that we've gotten our BCBAs. And we posted actually on uh, the BACB website once or twice before. Okay. Miss Jessica? Um, same, right? Indeed. <laughs> um, we post on our Facebook. We share a lot through social media. Um, and then 
Yeah, it's it's really word of mouth. People you kind of meet. Um, I find people at Target all the time. So when I'm going to Target and I'm buying uh, lots of toys and things like that, they're like, oh, are you having a party? Yeah, not during COVID. Um, <laughs> and so, oh, no, you know, I work with kids. And then you start a conversation. I'm really interested in that. Well, here's my card. If you're interested, you know, give us a call. Um, a lot of our employees come from uh, other people. Our current employees know. Um, so they they get the job and they really like it and they talk about it and then so they tell their friends and then their friends are like oh that sounds cool I want to do that and so um that's how a lot of our um our our staff have been gotten and then as far as BCBAs we haven't hired um I think we've only hired one BCBA from outside every Mm -hmm. other BCBA that we have we've um they've been with us since the beginning and so um we we don't do a lot of BCBA hiring we have we have six BCBAs um not including ourselves as the directors and um that's the most that any company has here uh in the valley so I think we're doing okay oh wow that is awesome that's really awesome (laughs) So let's change the, the direction because it seems like with with marketing, getting clients, it's more about making sure that you made the correct um, relationships, you established rather, the correct relationships with the insurance companies through credentialing and then with your local centers where you know that they're looking for um, providers and you're kind of on that list of providers. So you've done that. So what would your, as when you get your very first client, what are some of the things like the barriers that you experience being a brand new provider and then, then having your first client? I think the barriers I think for getting a brand new client is one that they don't know you. So some of the things that, um, that I used to get when I first started was how do I know that you're a legitimate company? Mm. Who are you? Uh, where did you come from? Uh, <laughs> how do I know I can trust you? And so as a new provider going out and wanting to get everything going, it is a it's a it's a catch twenty two when you first start. So it's almost like you know you have to get into that no like and trust factor. So uh, some of my clients um, that came to me at in the very beginning are people that you know oh I remember Keisha she used to work as a program manager or she was <laughs> this or that or that you know and then it was kind of word of mouth oh no you should go to Keisha's company um, because you know um, she's great at what she does and so. Um, those are really your initial challenges is and then also you're super new mm-hmm. and you don't know what to say and you don't know to set boundaries up front right right <laughs> right and am I sure that I have all of my documentation you know um, it's 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 a whirlwind of just things but for the most part those are your really big issues in starting is do they know me and how, how seamless is my process? Because technically they don't know you from Adam. And some of these people don't know anyone from Adam. They just need an ABA company. So if you go in there over talking and Mm -hmm. over sharing, then of course they know you're new at that point. And so that's one of the things that I would advise against is going there as if you've done this all your life and you, and, and you don't necessarily even have to tell them that you're the owner. Right, so right. The other thing is you can go in and just be like, hey, I, um, I'm i from Key Essentials. This is what we're doing. This is, you know, if you have any questions, I can, you know, submit your information. Um, so it just really depends on, you know, how you want to approach that. So what type of paperwork do you usually have your um, families fill out in the very beginning? So in the very beginning, we have a new hire questionnaire. I mean, not a new hire, a new uh, client questionnaire. So we go through a series of questions about just their demographics, um, who they are, why do they want service, what kind of schooling do they have? I mean, is their client, is their child in or um, if they're a caregiver um, and what aspects do you want um, 
services, who's providing services currently, prior history of services, Mm -hmm. uh, medication. um, And then we also go through an assessment tool. Um, What else? And of course, your informed consent, your HIPAA compliance, your video recording. So all of the things that a typical company goes through, those are your very first onboarding information. I actually, it's really interesting. I had one parent, she refused to sign I was brand new. I think I may have been open like a month. It was like maybe one of my first five assessments mm-hmm. with my own personal company. And she was just like, well, I've never seen you before. And I was like, okay. And she was just like, well, since I've never seen you before, I'd like to take your papers and figure out, you know, if you're going to be a good fit. And I was like, that's not a problem. Right. However, you know, we can't move forward with the assessment part of it until you sign informed consent. Right. So a new person, a newbie would probably get all frazzled, right? Right, right. Because at first I was a little taken aback. I was like, wait a minute, you want to do what? Um, And so from then on, that's the very first thing I do is I do the informed consent. You need to Mm -hmm. sign and then we can move forward. So I just told her, if you would like for me to leave the information, I will go ahead and leave the information. However, I will not return until the informed consent is signed and we can move forward. She decided to move forward, but she was really hesitant about that process. So it was, it was, uh, I think that was like my very first like real hurdle with the family. And they were just like, we don't know you. (laughs) Which, I mean, that's surprising, a little surprising to me because it's like, they wouldn't have known you even if you worked for a major company in the area. So it's kind of like, well, duh. <laughs> and I said that I was just like, you know, and I, and unfortunately I felt like I had to run down my credentials. Like I've been doing this for the last 20 years. You know, mm-hmm. I've worked at major ABA companies, you know, so here's my background. I understand. However, if I would have come to you from, you know, one of the bigger companies, you would not be asking me all of these questions. And right. you don't know who I am from jump, even when I come into your house saying that I'm from, you know, ABC company. You don't right, know. right. So, I mean, you know, I, I would say try not to take it personally, although mm-hmm. it, it feels very personal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That that whole pushback feels very personal, but you know, it's, it's I just chalked it up to you want to protect your child. I right. get it. Um, you want to know if I'm going to have the staff. You're going to want to know how consistent I'm going to be, mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the bigger barriers are, that people have with newer companies is how are they going to you know help me out and right. be consistent. And same for you, Miss Jessica, how, what are some of the biggest barriers? Like you just got your credentialing done. You've just, um, you've reached out to your regional center. You've got, you're ready to go. But what are some of the biggest barriers that you face when you get that very first client? Um, biggest barriers, let me think. Well, our first, the way it worked for us is our very first client came referred from a, um, a previous uh, co-worker mm-hmm. and uh, they were an insurance client and um, luckily their insurance paid 100%, uh, which is nice because that's that doesn't always happen. You usually deal with like co-pays and things like that. Right. Um, and so uh, we just had that one client um, from October through April. So our hugest barrier when we got started was that regional center took a really long time to get through our paper. Um, and once that happened, we got final that finalized in May of 2015. Then the clients started coming in. And so then we were able to, you know, really start hiring staff and moving forward. Um, but that really just getting those like paperwork things done and then following up with the agencies that you're talking to, whoever it is, whether it's insurance or regional center, um, making sure that you're following up with them so that uh, things can move along. Uh oh. You went on mute on me. There oh. you are. <laughs> yeah. 
so yeah, just to, just to make sure that we um, we keep up, up up on top of them uh, so that they um, our contracts move through quicker. Gotcha, gotcha. So, what do you do, Miss Jessica, when you get that very first client? What were some of the things that you had to do? Just kind of like what Lakeisha was saying with, you know, making sure she had the informed consent and making sure she had certain paperwork done. What do you guys do? When um, the client first calls us and they call into the office and they speak to our um, our office manager, the very first thing we check is availability. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to know if they are going to be available during the times that we have staff immediately available or mm-hmm. if we're going to need to hire new staff. Um, we are always hurting for clients in the morning time because right, right. You know, kids go to school in the morning. Um, it's been a little different this year, but now that kids are starting to slowly go back to school in person, um, that's making our schedules adjust differently. Um, And so that's the very first thing on the phone. What is your availability? And I would say at least 50% of the time, even after we go there, their availability changes. Of course. Like, oh yeah, we're not available in the mornings anymore. I'm like, well, great. We have nobody <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, so that's one of the first things. And then after that, yeah, we start out with our, our intake um, paperwork and we do our um, our functional analysis and, and do those things first. So we start out with our, our informed consent. We go through all of that basic paperwork, HIPAA, um, payments, all all of that all the good stuff (laughs) yeah so has there been an issue I guess when you first started out and you're collecting payment where you didn't get the payment from the family that you were due what do you do in that situation in all honesty um we don't have uh (laughs) <laughs> we don't have any private pay and we don't have any co-pays. So yeah, we don't necessarily deal with that aspect of it or we haven't had any clients that we've had to deal with that. Um, now insurance is a totally different beast. Right, right. <laughs> That's a whole different conversation. They won't pay. And then the next minute, oh, this person has another insurance. You need to contact them. And, you know, parents didn't tell you. So then you just have to, you know, go to billing and run down whatever the monies that are owed. And so um, the biller does that uh, whole process. But Mm -hmm. uh, as far as private pay clients and or clients that have a a copay, we don't typically have any. And if they do, um, our regional centers um, at some point may reimburse the family for um, copayment. So they Mm -hmm. usually refer them to them to um, get reimbursement so that then they can, you know, uh, pay. So sometimes regional center will pick up, Mm -hmm. sometimes they won't. It just depends on if they have the funding or not. So I haven't quite ran into those particular problems. Now that's convenient that the regional center does that. I don't think we have, like I said, I don't think we have anything like that in North Carolina. Um, I could be completely wrong and just don't know, but I don't think we have anything like that in North Carolina that allows parents to be reimbursed for their co-pays or for um, that'll help with those costs. Miss um, Jessica, for you, when you have you know, it's in the beginning and you have those first clients and you have a client that fails to pay their copay or as a private pay, doesn't pay their bill. What all do you do? We've had, uh, we've had a couple of um, issues, I guess you could say. So we don't have um, any private pay because we just figured that that's not something we want to deal with. Um, And what we have done is we have um, had clients change insurance Mm. type of things and not tell us or not follow through with their end of like, um, so if they have Medi-Cal, they don't send in their income verification or something. Mm -hmm. And at that point, their insurance gets canceled. Uh, And then they don't know until they try to go to a new doctor or something like that. And then all of a sudden they find out it's canceled. Um, And 
So we had a couple of those kind of situations. Uh, one of them, it was an issue where um, the family didn't follow through with their income verification. Uh, and then the insurance got canceled. When we found out about that, we had already stopped servicing the client. Mm-hmm. But the last six months of services, we weren't able to get paid for. Oh, um, wow. And there was just a, a family issue. Like there was reasons why they didn't follow through um, with their income verification. So uh we just didn't, we didn't pursue because Mm -hmm. there was just so much going on for the family already. Um, And then we had another family and that one was, I don't know, about $13,000. And then we had another family who um, the dad started working while we were there and then said that the insurance, he, he did, his kids didn't get covered by the insurance. And so we're like, okay, great. And then about a year into his job, he finds out that they were covered by his insurance. And so then Medi-Cal comes back to us and says, hey, they had private insurance. We want all this money back. So then they started taking money out of like future payments. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up paying them back, but we couldn't get um, the other insurance to cover. So it was like a whole year of services that that we lost because the the other insurance wasn't willing to cover and they weren't going to backdate it. and it's not something that we were going to be able to ask that family to do. Right. Um, as a business owner, yes, that's what you should be doing. You should be, uh, the family needs to be responsible. That's the whole point of our paperwork at the beginning regarding payment and right. insurance. Right. Like the the agreement is between them and us as a provider. If there's insurance problems, that's something that they need to figure out. It's just different once you're once you're in it as well. Um, so we try not to have too many of those things. We check insurance monthly because mm-hmm. you want to make sure it's active every single month. So we have that system going now, um, so we can catch those early uh, right, when right. when they get cut off. Um, so yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, That's... we check insurance every three days. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, we check insurance every three days. So I have one person that actually checks insurance. If if not, I mean, they try to do it every day. But if not, we check insurance about every three days um, just because of that issue that Jessica's talking about. Because mm. they will tell you like, nope, they're, they're not insured here. And they'll say it's it's your fault. Like, mm. you should have you known. Um, but you know, we get a lot of families that are, have a lower socioeconomic, you know, status. And Mm -hmm. so, um, same thing that Jessica was saying is if, you know, we now have lost out on six grand, then, I mean, how do you go to a family that can barely afford anything and say, Hey, you didn't give us this updated information, but then it falls on us also that you didn't go find out the information either. Right, you know, right. so and I bill every three days. So every three days, billing is done. Mm-hmm. So we we catch it pretty quickly if something like that happens. Oh wow! So I know that's a big issue. So do you have like besides the billing every three days and kind of checking the insurance every three days or checking every month or so? Do you have a another system in place where you are making sure that you don't run into those kind of issues? Like, is there a, um, I don't even know what to call it. Like, do you have a system where if, if the insurance is cut and you just didn't catch it for some odd reason and you have these exorbitant bills that you have to re- like repay back, is there something that you have in place for that? Like some kind of net that you have or something like that? If that makes any sense I mean, of what it, I just um, said. <laughs> it's the cost of doing business. I mm-hmm. mean, and you factor it in as the cost of doing business because your staff always has to get paid. Right, and right. So um, if there is an error and it's on our part, then of course we try to rectify the error. But if we can and we can't recoup the funds, then I mean, it's it for the most part. I mean, it's a write off. Mm-hmm. You know, you provided free services. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is how much you paid. Um, the other thing is we immediately stop 
and placed on hold all services, right? So services are placed on hold. As soon as we find out you don't have insurances, all services are placed on hold. Uh-huh. Your BI is reassigned. Um, you may not get back the same staff depending on how fast you move, uh-huh. you know, depending on what the issue is. Um, but we do let everybody know like, hey, you know, um, if our BIs don't work, our RBTs don't work, then that means that they're not getting paid, which right, means right, we can't right. hold on to good people. And so we have to immediately shift and make sure that, you know, all people, you know, are taken care of. And if your insurance is a factor and they're not covering it, then your services are placed on hold until you can figure that out. Okay. Yeah. That's basically I was what I was trying to ask, <laughs> because I know that you have to pay your staff. You have to, you know, make sure th- the lights stay on. So if you have this, you know, bill that you have to, or this money that you have to pay back to the insurance company because there was some glitch somewhere in the system, like what do you do? What kind of safety nets do you have in place? So that makes that makes sense. Miss Jessica? Yeah, so we have a, a savings um you know, already put aside in case something big comes up. I think in another um, episode I had mentioned that we were, um, oh, what's the word that we were listed as the wrong uh, workers comp code or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when they relisted us, it ended up giving us like a $30,000 bill or something like that. So you have to be, um, you have to have something put away in this business. It's really, really hard because you, you don't make a ton of money either. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially if you're doing really well at taking care of your employees, you're paying them well, Mm -hmm. they're getting benefits, things like that. uh, the ability to save a lot of money is is not there. So um, when I was first uh, researching in order to create a company, um, one of the things they talk about is having six months of, um, of expenses saved. And looking at that, because we're a service-based industry, uh, all of our money goes to paying our employees. Um, that's really, really hard to get six months. Just for me, that we pay in payroll probably about 50000 every pay period. Mm-hmm. Um, so over $100,000 a month. And right. so that means I would have to have $600,000 just to pay staff. That's nearly impossible. Mm. Um, so you just got to have a little bit set off to the side and make sure that you're able to, you know, organize your bills in a way that, you know, because the insurances, they'll work with you too. It's not like mm-hmm. they expect it like immediately. Um, they'll, they'll work with you and, and, and either take it out of some of the pay, the payments that are coming, things like that. Um, and then if you diversify, so you have different types of programs, then you'll have a better chance of having um, other sources of income coming in that will help you uh, cover any losses and things like that. Um, but it's it's not we've we've only had to take one actual loan um, while we've been in business, and that was right at the beginning mm-hmm. um, to get our first payroll paid. And then after that, we've we've been fine. We've always had like enough um, for like two payrolls, basically. Oh, always okay. at least two payrolls ahead. I think yeah. I should have started out with that question because, <laughs> well, because, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, I, I know that sometimes there's glitches with insurance and sometimes things happen and you have this money that you have to give back sometimes. And I know that they will um, kind of take payments or take monies out of payments that are due in the future and things like that. But I always wondered how, how do you have that, keep that safety net? to make sure that you can make payroll every month? How do you keep that safety net to make sure that when those things, if those things do pop up, that you are financially secure to make sure that everybody still at the end of the day can keep their own lights on as well as the business lights on? So I should have probably led with that question. (laughs) So building that safety net do you think there's a good like ratio to like what comes in versus what goes out like to to have so that you can build your your safety net if that makes sense I mean it would be nice (laughs) (laughs) you know it would be nice um I think uh Jessica hit the nail right on the head is um 
it is really hard, especially when, let's say, I'm billing and I don't get paid from regional center to uh, 45 days after, Mm -hmm. right? So that means that I've worked a whole 45 days and I'm only still getting paid for the last month. Right, right. (laughs) Right? So now you're always, you know... um, you're always 45 days behind with that. And then insurances, if you call them, most of them are really good at paying on their, whatever their schedule is. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you call them and say, Hey, you know, these people work the last two weeks and um, you haven't paid us or you haven't, or you have an uptick. Right. Mm -hmm. So you you're moving along. Great. And then boom, you have 12 or 15 people that come in and need new service. And then now you have to push more hours. Mm -hmm. Then your payroll is not based on those hours. Your payroll is based off of maybe Mm -hmm. a month of those hours. Mm -hmm. So you're always, there's always a little bit of ebb and flow in this. And so um, it's the same process. So it would be amazing if you can be like, all right, this goes here and this goes here and we're going to, but I think what you need to have a really good accountant mm-hmm. because they're going to save you and help you budget and make sure that, you know, things are aligned and where they need to be. Um, we went to, I think early in 2019, I was paying bills as they were coming in. Mm-hmm. And then my, I got a new accountant and she was just like, no, we pay bills right now once a month. So that meant that I had to tell everybody like, boom, we pay bills once a month now. Mm-hmm. Right. And then that was our system. We only pay bills once a month as they, you know, I don't care if you submitted an invoice on the first, the fifth or the 15th, we still only pay on the 25th of this month. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, there's a misconception that you have to do everything at one time. Right, sure right. Everybody's taken care of. And so, but you have to make sure that your company is, um, is what liquid, I guess is the word. I mean, like you have to make sure that there's money flowing in and out and, and make sure your staff gets paid. So, um, right now we have a, a small ratio, right? It's mm-hmm. probably more about a five to 10% of anything that comes in goes directly into savings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then and that's every single time that something gets paid. So then we can just keep on track of and like, you know, Jessica said, anywhere between two to three payrolls ahead. Mm -hmm. If I can be six payrolls ahead. Oh, my God, I would be (laughs) ecstatic. (laughs) You wouldn't even know. I'll be like, yes, I can do this. Right. But um, two to three payrolls ahead is probably the best you're going to get, at least from me. I don't know about anybody else. If they look, if they got a trick and you're out there and you're listening to this, Hey, give me a call. <laughs> give me a call. Cause I want to know how to make sure, you know, um, cause I mean, it is hard. You're taking care of your staff and if you're making sure that they're taken care of and you're meeting, all um, area standards and medium income rates. And like within the past two years, I think I've changed, like I haven't given raises because Mm -hmm. every year I've had to bump up to the minimum amount that everybody's getting there. It would Mm -hmm. be pointless for me to give you a raise when you're now getting an extra dollar or two. Right. right. Because we started out, maybe you were getting my lowest was thirteen, fourteen dollars. Mm-hmm. Then we had to move up to fifteen dollars. And now, you know, the medium and the lowest rate that you can pay somebody is probably anywhere between sixteen to seventeen dollars mm-hmm. an hour. And it moved up to what twenty twenty to twenty one dollars an hour. So coming in with zero experience, having nothing, maybe you get paid sixteen, but then of course now we're with regional centers and whatnot and of course you can't bring in people that have zero experience right you have to come in with some experience so most people that are coming to us at least have six months to a year experience plus a maybe a a bachelor's or they might just have their you know so it's real hard to kind of gauge that so you're looking at a lot of like you're just looking at a lot of different factors yeah and so as you're moving along and everything is just moving really quickly 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if Jessica feels the same way, but I feel like, man, we have to adjust our fee schedule. We have to adjust our rates. We have to adjust this. But none of the insurances are accommodating for these right. adjustments that we have to make in our industry. Mm. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Because you would think that they would well, never mind. Just kidding. I was gonna say <laughs> you would think that they would, but <laughs> to the Lord's ears, right? You would think insurance. You would think, and so, and even with regional center, it's it's a great program to have. But you're pretty much on the lowest of the lowest totem pole because it is state funded. So. Mm-hmm. You do this because you want to. Right, right. Right. I mean, like there are companies that like, no, we will never do uh regional center because regional centers rates are are not great for, for you to have. But if your whole purpose is servicing a community and servicing people that are under, you know, underserved and you know, underfunded, then you're gonna take the hit. So right. there's a lot of times that my insurance actually pays for the quality of service that I provide for my regional center. Mm-hmm. Wow. Miss Jessica? Um, yeah, so I think the original question was having to do with like what percentage, like how do we yes, say, right? sorry. <laughs> okay, and then we kind of trailed. So I just wanted to make sure I got back to yes. that too. Um, same with what, what Lakeisha said, that like 5 to 10% off whatever comes in is what we're trying to do. Is that always possible? No. Um, but we do the best we can. Uh, and that's that's kind of how we've been able to work it. Um, this year, we literally only started saving in 2020, uh, mostly because the pandemic came and we're like, oh my gosh, nobody's working. We still have to pay these people. Like, how are we going to figure this out? Is the PPP loan going to help us or not? And mm-hmm. It was just a lot to try to figure out, you know, how all of that was going to go. Um, and so once we started working again in, in July, we really, I, I had already talked about it before COVID, um, but my business partner, he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll start working on that. And, and then COVID came and I'm like, we really need to make sure because <laughs> right. he's the money guy. I don't, I don't do a lot of the money stuff. Um, but I'm like, we really need to make sure we have like enough. Um, and so, so yeah, we've been working on that. Um, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of where that goes. I think the, um, the insurance and the regional center and, and the rates and all of that, I think that's like a great um, thing to bring up. Lakeisha, thank you for bringing that up because it, it is a, it is a hit and we, can't change our quality of services just because the pay is lower with this right, this right. particular company or this particular uh, pro- uh, funder. Um, and so, uh, yeah, sometimes your insurances that do pay a little bit more or your rates are a little bit higher are going to cover for that money that you're missing um, on the other side. And then you just have to do well to adjust um you know, your clients and, and where they're coming from, you know, to make sure that you always have enough basically right, right. Um, to cover everybody. But yeah. Oh my goodness. You guys, like, it sounds so bad. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I understand that, you know, different companies have different fee schedules and you have to adjust accordingly, but you want to take care of your um, employees because they help to run the company, essentially. But it's like you, I wish, and this is just for me, it's like, I wish that we could possibly like do more, you know, for the, um, for the employees, because they're the ones that really kind of keep things going because without them, And, you know, we really wouldn't be able to service these clients. So it's like, I wish, you know, if I were an ABA company business owner that I would be able to give bonuses and give, you know, those things. But it's like looking at how things work, it's like, well, that might not be as feasible as, you know, as my poor little heart would want it to be. (laughs) And the funny thing is you go into it like, oh, I'm going to be so much better than the company I came from and I'm going to do all of these things. And then you get in there and then you look behind the curtains Mm -hmm. and then you're like, ooh, so those bonuses that I wanted to give, probably not going to come for a little while. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of this leeway that I want to give probably not going to come for a little while. You know, I, I know that there's a whole lot of talk and I'm assuming at some point we'll get to this conversation, but about billing, mm-hmm. right? And so, and salaried employees versus non-salaried Oh yeah, that's employees. coming. Like that, <laughs> that's the whole beast within itself. But I mean, like if we take this portion of what we're talking about right now, then it really starts to kind of figure in because if I have a BCBA that I'm paying a salary to, but they're only doing 50% of billable hours, there's no way that I can sustain that person's income. Mm-hmm. Right. And so the in billable hours, meaning that if you're working 80 hours a month, I'm not one of these huge companies around here, right? That just have an abundance of people probably giving them money, not one of those. So if you're asking to come to my company and say, you know, I only want 10 cases and I'm just like, no, right, you're not right. at a salaried employee, that's not going to happen, right? But you can have and make sure that you do 120 billable hours a month Right. Because Uh 120 billable hours a month will do exactly what I needed to do, which is pay your salary. Right. Right. You don't. And and the misconception is that you make money off of the BCBAs and you don't. Uh And and you don't. You do not make money off of BCBAs. BCBAs is a self-employed position. So if you don't work the hours, then the company eats the cost, period. Uh So those people that are out here like, no, you should only have, you know, two cases and no, it's all about billable hours. I don't don't care what nobody say. I mean, you know, I'm going to be real with you at all times, (laughs) every step of the way. There is no way that I can keep you on staff with you only working uh, 50% of your hours and taking home a full salary. There's no way. Right. You won't work for Key Essentials. I can tell you that right now. Yeah, because, I mean, it is, I, I will say as a BCBA, it is that, I guess, misconception out there that the company makes money off of the BCBAs, even with us only doing X amount of billable hours per month, that your reimbursement rate is higher, so you get more money. So, it, you know, and it's, we don't account for the other little things here and there or we don't know, like you say, we, we're not behind the curtain to know how that impacts the company as a whole. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Jessica. I was going to say one thing that, um, that often employees don't realize is um, how much it costs for insurance and mm-hmm. uh the taxes that we pay on payroll and things like that. Because um, when you take that into consideration, if you look at a BCBA salary of say 65,000, which is now on the low end, mm-hmm. um, which, yeah, which is like, that's like barely, you know, affordable for us um, here in this area. And luckily our cost of living is a little bit lower. You're, you're more down South. So I know that's harder for you, Lakeisha, but um, definitely. Yeah, I can get away with paying somebody sixty five thousand a year. These people would laugh in my face. Yeah, but you add another twelve thousand dollars a year on top of that, just in and everything else that you're paying your your paid time off, your you know Mm -hmm. vacation time, sick time, whatever it is, your um your taxes that you're paying on your on your payroll, and then if you're paying any type of medical insurance, like Mm -hmm. all of that money comes from somewhere, and so you tack it on to that salary, and that's what we need to make sure we make for that that one particular person, um, and employees that we. As employees, we just don't we don't pay attention to those things. We don't realize those things. Right. I know it was actually kind of funny. I was talking to someone in another state and they were like, Oh, well, you're in California. So I mean, like, I wouldn't take less than like 95. And I was just like, first of all, there's no way. There's no <laughs> way. I'm gonna tell you right now, there's no way you're gonna get 95. And if some company is paying you 95, it's probably because they don't know better. Mm-hmm. I was like, so range, you know, for those people that are not in California, the range, the salary range in California is anywhere between 72 to maybe 85, depending on your experience. Mm. 
right? So, and that's probably comparable with the other areas. I don't know the other states, so I can't speak on that, but I know here, and it really just depends on people that are coming up. But yeah, no, it, it gets a little crazy when people, like I had someone that was like, oh yeah, by the way, I've been here for six months and I need to go from like 85 to like 95. And I was just like, what? (laughs) So I literally, but I'm the kind of person, so I'm very transparent and very open with all of my staff, everyone that works for me. This is how much we brought in. Why? Because first of all, I feel like one, you can't take it away from me unless I give it to you. That's true. That's first. And second, I need complete and utter transparency because I need you to know what it is that we're trying to do mm-hmm. and what we can do if everybody works cohesively together. So I'm not a company that doesn't necessarily, I will share how much we made in a year. I will share how much we made in a month. I will share like where we're going and what our plans are. Mm-hmm. But um you do get a lot of people coming in and they want to take advantage of the situation and they're like, oh, you only have one BCBA? Oh, okay, no problem. Come on in. I I can do it. And they'll come in for 80 and then six months later, they're asking for 85, Uh 90, 95. And, you know, as a employer, I'm just like, no, thank you for playing. Right, right. And if you if some other company is going to give you 95, then I suggest you go to that other company. And I'm all for you better in yourself. I'm never going to tell you not to go get your money. Go get your money at all times. So if they're going to pay it to you, go get it. Right. (laughs) And I wish you the best. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So before we wrap up with starting kind of having that very first client, having your very first staff member, are there any, anything that I may have missed that you think is important for a new ABA company to understand or know? I think we covered it quite a bit. I think just try not to do everything all at one time, right? Mm -hmm. Just know that you're going to make some mistakes, get yourself a coach it doesn't need some, need to be somebody that does ABA. It could be somebody just in business. Wherever it is that you feel like you need that extra support, find that person to give it to you. The person that coaches me is not that's not necessarily from my industry. Mm-hmm. And she has been a great help for me over the past two years. Like I didn't realize how much I was floundering until I hired her because I, I just but my life has been infinitely better because I have a different way of thinking about how to approach business and Mm -hmm. making sure that it's aligned with my values and the culture that I want to have with my company. So, I mean, just try to make sure that you're not trying to do everything all at once. It is a process. I understand you want to get out of your job and maybe start your own ABA company, but also think outside of the box. Maybe Mm -hmm. Having an ABA company is not really what you want, but having a business is what you want. And right, if that's what right. you want, you can get that not by opening up an ABA company, right? And so, and it does take a significant amount or a reasonable amount, I should say, a capital to get started. You're not going to be able to just kind of come in, you know, and keep going. You're probably going to need to have at least ten to 20000 in a bank Mm-hmm. Um, even if you're starting in home, I would say at least 10, minimum 10, right? Cause everything else you can kind of do yourself, but minimum 10, because you need at least, I would say about, if you're talking one employee, about 25 to $2,600 for the month for a 40 hour employee. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to be able to at least have that to make sure that they get paid for that one employee, but I mean, right. it also depends on what you want to do. So so at least 10 grand. <laughs> you can start an ABA company with about 10 grand. You're going to need some more money, but right. you know, <laughs> at least get it started. Okay. That's good to know. Miss Jessica? Uh, so, yeah, I, I really like your advice on, on the 10 grand. I think we needed um, probably probably 20 um, when we started. I know that first loan that I talked about, I think that was at 22. And so that's how much short we were with that initial capital um, that we had. But um, 
I think that we did cover a lot of really good things today. I think um, when you're wanting to start an ABA company, it's really, really important to think about um, all of these other separate little things. I think uh, your your response was kind of perfect, Draval, at, and at the end of the last question, where it's like, I don't know, this is just, this seems like a lot and it doesn't seem very good, right? <laughs> right? Cause, cause it is a lot. It is a lot. It's a lot of work. It's, it's a lot of responsibility. And, and although you come with that, uh, that freedom of being your own boss, um, there, there is, so many more things that you you need to think about kind of like also like Lakeisha said you pull up pull open the curtains and that's where all the things are working that you didn't know about Mm -hmm. and if you didn't know about it and you didn't even have like the slightest inkling about it you're gonna have like extreme sticker shock because you're that you're gonna make at the beginning it's nothing compared to what you're making in the job you had before um so, and, and that's something that's so important for new business owners to know is that you are not going to, you're going to barely make enough money, uh, hopefully to pay your bills. Um, hopefully. <laughs> uh, so I think that is one of the, the most important things to know is like, we gotta, we really gotta know what it is that we're shooting for. And this is, this is a long game. It's not a get rich quick thing. Right, right. That is very, I think that's a very good point to make. This is not a get rich quick kind of scheme. This is a long game. <laughs> so thank you ladies again for all of your words of wisdom. I so appreciate you guys being here as usual. I can't wait to our next conversation because it's going to be awesome as always. So everybody that's listening, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Life with ABA. And then go to our website at lifewithbehavioranalysis.com. Leave your comments, leave your questions. Let me know what you're thinking about this episode. And we will see you on the next episode. See you later, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Also, Make sure you check out our website for more content. See you next time. Bye!